Isn't the Lord good? Let's give God praise today. God is good. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Well, what a, what a wonderful start to understanding the Holy Spirit sermon series. Amen. God's an on-time God. If you have your Bibles with me this morning, we'll get going here in a moment, or we won't get going. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. I wanted to do a series entitled Understanding the Holy Spirit. Um, and I thought that would be the best place to start. So if you've got your Bibles, and we'll have many of these scriptures. Actually, I've, I had them written down and forgot to give them to Miss Amanda, so she'll have to, she got them. She must have, there we go, okay, she's on the ball. I wrote them down, and it's, it's kind of been a very eventful weekend, and so I'm, I'm kind of running from behind here. But uh, anyway, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, understanding the Holy Spirit now, the Holy Spirit was active from Genesis all the way through the Old Testament. And I will get talk about that. But in our context, in our day, in the timeline of, of, of uh, what the Lord is doing in the earth, <clears throat> we're going to look at it uh, in the age of grace, if you will. And that's the time that we're living in, in God's time frame. So I'm going to start from there, and then I'll backtrack over the next couple of weeks and show you the role of the Holy Spirit from the beginning uh, all the way up until now. And I'll talk about the manifestations and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But this morning, I want to start in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. This is after the Old Testament. Jesus has died upon the cross, and He has instructed the disciples. He came back and visited them many times, and... He was giving them instruction. After his death, he came back and visited, and he told them this. He said, I'm going to send power, my power, to you, but you must be obedient and go to Jerusalem, <clears throat> and you must wait, and then it will come. Now, as they were obedient to the words of Jesus, and, and that is very important. Obedience to the Word of God is very important in the... Uh, in the understanding and in the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. So we pick it up right here in Acts chapter 2, and it says, verse 1, uh, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, notice this, they were all with one accord in one place. <clears throat> and suddenly there came a sound from heaven. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire and set upon each of them. And they were all uh, filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, when it sang other tongues there, it meant a tongue was a language. You trace this back to the Tower of Babel or Babel when God divided the languages up because God told them to go out and multiply, spread out and multiply, and they didn't do it. The people were disobedient to God, and God came down and said, you know, I've got a way to accomplish what I want to accomplish here. And so he gave them all these different languages. Well, they could no longer understand each other. So they again did split up and multiply the earth. And so that is where we get the different languages from. Now, at that time, it was, it was uh, the, all the, the Jews were coming into Jerusalem 
And the purpose of filling them with the Holy Spirit and that they would go out and speak different languages, it wasn't like they were just going out under their own mind and they're under their own power and speaking uh, or, or witnessing of Jesus Christ in their own la- in, in the different language. They didn't know a different language. It was all under the power of the Holy Spirit. And you would say, well, how can that happen? Well, who made the languages? Who made the tongue? Who gave us the ability to speak? Well, God did. So God has the power and the ability to do these things. Acts chapter 2, and so we're looking at it in our time frame today. Let's get perspective here. Acts chapter 2 is the fulfillment of the prophecy in the book of Joel, uh, chapter 2, verse 28, given thousands of years ago concerning the Holy Spirit being poured out in the last days. We are in the last days, so we're in this time frame. And it says in the book of Joel, and it shall come to pass afterward, I will pour my Spirit out, we're talking about the Holy Spirit here, on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and on my maid servants will pour out my Spirit in those days. Now, when you take the Word of God and you say, you know, I really want to believe and trust in God. And when we take the Word of God and we say, I believe in the Word of God, what we are not allowed to do is say, well, I believe in part of it. We're not allowed to say, well, I believe what happened at this time, but it doesn't happen now. Well, if you don't have scriptural, textual proof, then you cannot make that claim. And so as I've read the Word of God and I have seen evidenced how the Holy Spirit at times would work in the Old Testament, but was not poured out, and the Spirit of God was not Uh, in man, but the Spirit of God was rather there and would come upon people at certain times. But then the Scripture's given, but there will come a time later in time where I will give out my Spirit and my Spirit will reside in man. We are living in that time. And so the, the prophecy was fulfilled right there on the day of Pentecost. And it was, it was prophesied in Joel and then, and, and then it, was, uh, it was poured out. And when we move along in this story, in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8, we find this. The Holy Spirit was promised and given. And being assembled together with them, Jesus commanded them to not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for this. Wait for what? The promise of the Father. We saw the promise back in Joel. The promise was given there. Jesus says, wait for the promise that the Father has given you, which he said, you have heard from me. John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which my Father has put in his own authority. But notice what Jesus says. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, for what? Why would they receive power? Go to the next verse right there. You shall be my witnesses for me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So what is the purpose of the Holy Spirit? The purpose is for witnessing, for bold witnessing and for power. That is what the Holy Spirit is there for. There is no way 
that the New Testament church could ever have started and ever continued unto this day if it were not for the power of the Holy Spirit. There were so many enemies, they were beaten down, they would have been crushed. It would have been just disassembled, and that would be the end of it. But Jesus said, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And just to make sure that that would happen, the Holy Spirit was given, and it is the power which holds back the gates of hell. So according to Jesus, the purpose of the baptism in that moment was for empowerment for service in the kingdom of God, and in particular, boldness to be his witnesses in a world that was walking in darkness and was hostile to God. And that's the world that they were in. Let me say this to you today. In reference to the world at that time, since that day in Acts chapter 2, three things have not changed. It could be more. I'm not limiting it to that. I'm just making an observation. Number one, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is still poured out unto believers for power and for boldness. Number two, we live in a world that is still hostile to Christ and the things of God. And number three, the power of the Holy Spirit can change lives. It can heal. It can do anything under the power of God. So these things are still occurring today. And so the baptism is still being poured out. Let me address number one there. Many of the denominations within Christendom today uh, do not include baptism of the Holy Spirit in the Articles of Faith. It is, however, included in the Church of God Declaration of Faith and many other uh, Pentecostal and Charismatic denominations. If you look up on our website what our beliefs are, it will tell you right there in Article number 8, we believe in the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Notice, subsequent to a clean heart. Subsequent to a clean heart. Number nine, article number nine, we believe in speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gives utterance. Notice that. Go back to the day of Pentecost. They didn't just decide they would, that they would speak in some other tongue under their own power, but it was under the power of the Holy Spirit, and that was the initial evidence. And so let me talk for a moment about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit from Pentecost and into, into our time. The Church of God uh, was one of many denominations that blossomed after the, after the Azusa Street Revival in 1906, and it ended in 1915. There's a lot of other denominations, but the Church of God is one that that blossomed out of that. And let me talk about that for just a moment as we're talking about God's Spirit being poured out. On the night of April 9th, there was a guy, named, a man named William Seymour. You can look up and read about him. He was leading the revival. And several other men were waiting on God on Bonnie Bray Street when suddenly, as though hit by a bolt of lightning, they were knocked from their chairs to the floor, and they began to speak in tongues, and they praised God. Does that sound like Acts chapter 2 to you? The news spread quickly. The city was all stirred up. Crowds gathered. Meetings were moved outside because the crowds kept gathering around what was going on in the church. People fell down under the power of God. Even as they began to approach the building, they were fell down under God's power. They were moved. They were healed. Uh, they were saved. All kinds of things took place. And then they finally moved to a mission house on Azusa Street. 
And for three years, revival took place, and it became known worldwide. And it was a powerful move of God. Uh, and, you know, God does things. He doesn't do things through the powerful. God doesn't work through the rich. God doesn't work through the wise things of man. Let me tell you how God worked through that revival right there. God took, at that time, and in 1906, this was in, uh, really uh, was not, um, in the United States, was, would not be allowed. But there was a black preacher named William Seymour. And William Seymour only had one eye. And he wasn't, he wasn't educated. He wasn't what someone would say, that is a man uh, during our time, right? When, 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 when black people were not given the opportunity to be on the stage in the United States, but rather uh, were being persecuted, and yet God chose this man, uh, a man that had given his heart completely to God and worked through him. And, and the newspapers would come and criticize, and, and they would belittle what God was doing, but through him and through the other believers who came for a genuine move of God, a revival started that shook not only Los Angeles, but shook the whole world and thousands and thousands of people were saved and healed and even as they came close as God was moving and working I'm telling you the power of God moved in that place and since that time of that outpouring uh, the number of Pentecostal Christians in the world has grown at a tremendous rate, and it is now estimated to be around 500 million. The Church of God in 1910, during the midst of this revival, had 1,005 members. Today it has around 7 million members. And we're not the only Pentecostal church. There are many others. But what happened was God moved in the midst of people who were hungry to God, hungry for God and, and he moved in such a mighty way uh, that it shook the world. However, not everybody responds to the things of God in the same way. Now, if you're hungry for God and you're seeking God and where God is, the Spirit will lead you towards him. But the world looks at it a totally different way. If you go back and you read in the Old Testament when God came down on the mountain at Mount Sinai, and he wanted to draw his people Israel towards him. They took a look at that mountain, and these were people who were not holy people. They just came out of Egypt. They were full of all kinds of idolatry and all kinds of sins. And as God came down on that mountain, and his power resided in that mountain, they looked up at that, and they saw the power of God, and they felt the power of God. And they said, oh, no, 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 we're not going anywhere near that. That place, but God sought to draw them near to Him. So the world, people who uh, don't seek God and are not right with God, when the power of God comes, two things are going to happen. They're either going to run or they're going to fall on their face before a mighty and a powerful and a righteous God. And so the world is hostile when God shows up. The crowd, the crowd responded. into the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the things that were taking place. We go back into the book of Acts and we look at the response to what happened when the day, on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. What does it tell us? It says in verse 5, And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together. and They were confused 
Because everyone heard them do what? Speak in their own language. There, there were Jews from all around that spoke different languages. And they come together and they're going, now wait a minute. They're not from where we're from. And yet they're speaking our same language. And they were confused. And they said, look, are all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? They could not understand how such a thing could even take place. Parthenians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, uh, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya, adjoining Cyrene visitors from Rome and Jews. And so they were amazed and perplexed, saying one another, whatever could this mean? And in verse 13, notice, as they marveled and they wondered about this and they didn't understand it, they began to mock and saying they are full of new wine. In other words, they've been drinking and they're drunk and they're acting like a bunch of fools is what they're doing. And they said that because they didn't understand the Holy Spirit. They didn't understand the power of God or the manifestations. And so they mocked with that which they did not understand. Let me move forward in time to another outpouring of God and the criticism. On the Azusa Street Revival, there was a story entitled Weird Babble of Tongues. Uh, uh, a Los Angeles Times reporter attempted to describe what would be known as the revival. And this is what they said. Strange utterances and creeds which it would seem no sane mortal could understand. It said the newest religious sect has started in Los Angeles. Another paper reported uh, that the people appear to be mad, mentally deranged or under a spell. They claim to be filled with the Spirit. And they, they sing this song, The Comforter Has Come. Other attendees describe them as holy rollers or jumpers or uh, holy ghosters. And so they began to publish reports about this movement. And after a while, people were warned not to go. They even called the police and tried to get the building to shut down. Can I tell you, you can't shut down God. You can't shut God down. If there are people hungry for God and looking for God, listen, if God shows up, no man can shut God down. But what happens is this. No matter what the criticism, no matter what other people say, when God touches a person, when God pulls a person in who is living in outright sin, when God convicts a person, the Holy Spirit grips their heart and begins to convict them of a life that is lived ungodly. And, and, and they come to God and they repent. And they come to God and ask for forgiveness and they receive salvation. You then tell that person it's all in their mind or they're crazy. Listen. They, we've got all kinds of programs in this country. We've got AA. We've got all kinds of programs to help people uh, to get off addictions, to get off alcohol, to, get off, to change their life, to set them free, to set them free from bondage. And some of them work and some of them don't. But when the power of God gets a hold of a person, God can set any person free. Listen, I'm telling you, God's got a 100% uh, success rate if the person is willing to submit their life to God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's give God praise today. Amen. And so they were mocked. But what happened? The Holy Spirit changed lives in the midst of all that. Verse 22, it says, Peter standing up to preach 
under the boldness of the Holy Spirit, said, Men of Israel, he said, hear these words. And he's witnessing for Jesus here. He says, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by, to God by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. He said, you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified and put to death whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when they heard this, notice what happens when, the, when, a, when someone is preaching and the Holy Spirit is there and the Holy Spirit has anointed it and the Holy Spirit is moving and he's convicting. Notice what happens when they heard this. It says they were cut to the heart. In other words, they were convicted to the very core of who they were and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? In other words, we're convicted, but we don't know how to to deal with this. Peter said in verse 38, he said, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and your children and to all who are afar off as many as the Lord our God will call. So what happens when the Holy Spirit moves? People mock it. They don't agree with it. That's what the flesh does. That's what the devil does. But when the Holy Spirit grips a heart, listen, people don't know what to do with sin when the Holy Spirit grips their heart. They've got to get rid of it. Why is that? Because sin, unrighteousness, cannot stand in the presence of a holy God. And a person will do anything to get rid of that. They'll fall on their face. They'll cry out to God. Because the unholiness and unrighteousness has got to move because it will not stand in God's presence. What happened then? A vital church grows. In verse 40 and many others, words he testified and exhorted them saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. My Lord, if that was a perverse generation, what do we call this generation today? If they were perverse, I don't even have a word for what we are. I don't know how you can add on to that or make it any worse. And then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And notice that day, 3,000 souls were added to them and they continued steadfastly in the doctrines and the fellowship. And then notice 43, fear came upon every soul and wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And notice the Lord added to the church daily those that were being saved. So what happens when the Holy Spirit moves? What happens when people get hungry for God to such a point that they want to live righteously for God and repent of their sins and seek God with all of their heart? It says the Lord added church daily to those who were being saved and changing lives in our day through the Holy Spirit will be the same way that it happened on the day of Pentecost. It'll be the same way it happened in the Azusa Street Revival. It will happen when people get hungry for God and get on fire for God and the Holy Spirit begins to move and He'll do the work of bringing people into the church. Let's give Him praise. Amen. But some say, oh, that was for that day. That was for that time. That was only to establish the church that the Holy Spirit moved in such a fashion. Well, we can look at the Azusa Street Revival. 
as an example for our time, a little over 100 years ago, let me give you another illustration of the working of the Holy Spirit and the illustration of how this, what the Holy Spirit does through one manifestation, which is called the, the, the speaking in other tongues as a witness for Jesus Christ. There's a woman named Maria Woodsworth Edder. She has passed away. She, she lived in the mid to late 1800s, passed away in the 1920s. She was filled with the power of God, and she would go around and conduct uh, meetings, whoever would come. She would advertise, and she was having a, a meeting in Chicago around the turn of the century, and she described a message in tongues just as I just read to you in Acts chapter 2. It was inspired through the Holy Spirit, and it was giving in a service in which hundreds of sinners were present. People were drawn to come to the church service. Among them, the non-believers, was a Jewish man who sat with his head down as though he was stunned at what he had just heard. He stood up and he stated that the message in tongues was for him and that he understood it. When the invitation was given, he came forward and he prayed and repented of his sins. And after praying, he testified the person that who spoke in tongues had spoken pure Hebrew. Pure Hebrew, telling him that he must come down and acknowledge Jesus to be his Savior. Notice, this is the exact same example that was given in Acts chapter 2. The disciples are there. They do not know these languages that the Jews are speaking. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. They begin to speak in a language that is not their own. They are witnessing for Jesus Christ. People repent and come and give their life to the Lord. Woodsworth Edder stated that the man through whom the Lord gave the message testified he had never studied any languages whatsoever. Not only that, he knew nothing about Hebrew, and he never even graduated from grammar school, which makes this a miraculous sign. It's only something that could have happened through the power of God. You see, God operates through people who will humble themselves before Him, earnestly seek His face. People who will seek Him out with their whole heart. People who will humble themselves and realize whatever God's going to do through me, it is not for my glory. It's not for me to say, look what God did through me. It's not anything about me whatsoever. It is simply me setting myself up as a vessel that God can work through. And that's who God works through. There were also healings that took place. Let me read about that in Acts chapter 3. In the day of Pentecost, a lame man was healed. In Acts chapter 3, verses 3 through 10, Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And notice this in verse 2, there was a certain man lame from his mother's womb who was carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful. And what he would do, he basically was a beggar. And he would sit out in front of the temple at the gate. And anybody who was coming through to pray, he would ask for uh, anything, alms, whatever they could give so that he could eat and live. Peter and John going into the temple, he sees them and he asks them for money. Peter fixes his eyes upon him with John. Peter said, look at us. And so expecting to receive something from Peter and John, Peter said, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. 
Rise up and walk. And what happened in that moment? He took him by his right hand, lifted him up. Immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. And so leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. They knew it was he who sat at the beautiful gate, uh, the, the temple uh, called Beautiful Gate, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. So God worked a miracle. Nobody could deny it. It wasn't like they brought somebody off the street, right, and he could do some kind of trick with his legs. This man had been here all his life. He couldn't walk coming out of his mother's womb. He had been there the whole time. Nobody could deny that it was a miracle from God. In the Azusa Street Revival, uh, it was located at 312 Azusa Street, and they recorded miracles that took place during this whole revival. The glory of God inhabited the former stable in the, in the, where this place was, and there was miracles of healing that took place as long as the presence and the power of God was there. They talked about people, eyeballs uh, being filled in empty sockets, cancers being healed, lives restored as the powerful, what, they, what we would call the Shekinah glory of God filled that place. Let me talk about the Shekinah glory of God for a moment. In 2 Chronicles 5, 13 and 14, it says, A cloud covered the mountain, and the glory of God settled on Mount Sinai. When Solomon's temple was being dedicated, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud, for the glory of God filled the house of God. So God's very presence was right there in that house, in the Azusa Street Revival. And it was even reported, people who would walk down that street by that place, they would be convicted under the power of the Holy Spirit. They would be convicted of their sins and they would come in there because they couldn't handle the conviction anymore. One of the churches, when I was a children's pastor, they told me a story, said back in the 50s and 60s, they had such a revival over in Lenore City that people would not drive past the 6th Avenue Church of God because when they did, they would get convicted and they would stop their cars in the middle of the street and they would try to get in the church. They were convicted because the power of God set upon that church that's what happens when the Holy Spirit shows up that's what happens when the Holy Spirit is active we trace it back to our roots in this church and as brother Rich gets ready to come I'm getting ready to close here in a moment and I want to talk about this power of the Holy Spirit and for the next couple of weeks I'll describe a little bit more about it but I want to summarize it in this way Pentecostals recognize, we recognize, that this world is filled. It's a place where Satan has reign. It's a place where his demons go about. And the Bible says that they go about, Satan goes about as a roaring lion, doing what? Seeking whom he may devour. What is happening in our world? Satan has been let loose. He's running around this world. He's tempting people to sin. His demons go out and they tempt people to sin. What is sin? It is simply going against the Word of God. Define it how you want. The Bible defines it in many different ways. It talks about fornication. It talks about lust. It talks about uh, drunkenness, uncleanness, all kinds of sin. And so what happens is the devil goes about and he's constantly presenting the opportunity to sin. The temptation, he lays it out there. He hasn't been doing anything different since he was kicked out of heaven. 
and came down to the garden where Adam and Eve were. And when Eve was standing there in the garden, he came to her and he said, look at here. Look at this fruit. He couldn't make her eat it. He couldn't do that. He didn't have the power to do it. He simply presented it. It was a temptation to do what? To do that which is a sin because it was against the Word of God. Eve knew it. She said, oh yeah, we can eat everything except that. <laughs> it's my paraphrasing. We can have everything but that right there. That is forbidden. But you know, the devil doesn't take no for an answer very well. He's very cunning. He's very crafty. And so he just simply packaged it a different way. He said, oh, no, 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 no. You misunderstand. <laughs> I'm not asking you to do what's wrong. I'm just simply showing you that God doesn't want you to have what you want. He just turned it around. Oh, no, no, no. You see, God's holding something back from you. You see, because God knows when you eat it or you take this, it's going to be better for you. The devil hasn't been doing anything different. He does the same thing now. Leads people into temptation. But he doesn't come and say, I want you to sin against God. He doesn't do that. He knows you wouldn't fall for that. But he says, look here. Here's this, or here's this, or here's this. What he doesn't show you is what it will do. What he doesn't show you are the consequences. And so the devil is working overtime. And so this world is a place where he's constantly active. And he's working and seeking to destroy human lives. For what? Number one, he hates people because they're made in the image of God. Number two, he wants to take their soul to hell with him. That's his, it's very simple. That's his goal. But as Pentecostals in the realm of Christendom, we see it just a little differently. We see it as a place where God has sent his power now to combat against the enemy. God has now sent his Holy Spirit. Whereas before the disciples even though they walked with Jesus for such a long time. And, and, and not only, not only did, they, did they believe that Jesus was going to set up his kingdom there, that they were going to be a part of it. And oh, man, they, hey, they were ready to roll until Jesus died. And then they scattered. They were afraid. But Jesus had a plan. Here's what he does. He says, you go away to Jerusalem and that same power you saw within me as the Holy Spirit was upon me, you're going to see now because I'm going to promise it to you back in Joel 28. You go wait for it. And as they sat there and waited, the power came upon them. And before as those disciples, they were afraid, they were hiding. Now all of a sudden, the very people who Peter was afraid of, when the Holy Spirit shows up and they're mocking it, Peter stands up and he says, let me tell you guys something. You're the ones who killed Jesus. You're the ones who did it. But if it was just Peter's own power and his own words, he would have fallen. it would have fallen to the ground. It would have had no effect. But under the power of the Holy Spirit, and with the Holy Spirit moving in God's power, all of a sudden, and they're convicted in their hearts. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. And so there's those of us who've encountered Jesus and we know Him as our Lord and Savior, but we've, we've, we've never known about this Holy Spirit. What is this all about? Paul talked about, Paul did this as he went about ministry and came across a couple of converts and he said, have you been filled with the Spirit since you've been saved? They said, what do you know? What, your, what Spirit is this? And he laid hands upon them and they were filled. 
And so after, after the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we are empowered to bear witness for Christ. And we're sensitive and available for use of the gifts of the Spirit because we've been obedient and we're a willing and a clean vessel for God. This church needs to be a church where the Holy Spirit moves. If not us, then who? Who? Who's going to do it? I just laid out to you, the Church of God is one of the congregations that believes in the moving of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not here to criticize any other church. I'm just simply saying, we are coming to a place in this world where they will no longer accept the doctrine, the truth. We were told it was going to come to this. We're now in a place where the world will not tolerate the church. Brother Hampton just talked about that in China. They won't tolerate the church. We're coming to that time, church. And I'm telling you right now, if we don't have the power of God, there are many people that's going to fall. They'll give in. To what? To whatever. You name it. To whatever. But if you're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, you'll have the boldness. Now, I, I'm, I'm, don't misunderstand me. I'm not here saying we're here to be rebels. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is we will stand up for God no matter what. But you will not do it without the Holy Spirit. You can't. The disciples who walked with Jesus three years couldn't do it. So we need to be a church that is walking in the power of God. So then the question is this, how do we do this? How does this work? Let me tell you, how is this done? How does one pray? How do we receive this gift of the Holy Spirit? Matthew 7, 11 and Luke 11, 13. Matthew writes, If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your Father give what is good to those who ask Him. And then in Luke writes this in eleven thirteen. He says, If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? The Father wants to pour it out. We've got to seek Him for this promise. I want to invite you that as a church, we begin to seek the power of God. Let me make it more personal for you. You desire a deeper, closer relationship with God. If you do, but you felt like you've just never been there, or you were there at one time, but you just know you don't feel as close to God as you did, can I encourage you to begin to pray for this? Or you've always wanted to live a holy life, but you struggle with it in some area of your life. Can I tell you to pray for the baptism? God, the Holy Spirit will draw you. And as He draws you, here's what will happen. As He wants to fill you, He'll do this. He'll say, now let's talk about this area in your life. <laughs> Mark my words. He'll do it. But you do it. You follow. You say, yes, Lord. Yes, help me with this. Help me with that. Do you feel powerless to change your life? The Holy Spirit can help you do that. Do you feel unable to witness like you would like to? The Holy Spirit will empower you to do that as He did the disciples. I desire to see this for you and for our church and also for Hendersonville and Sumner County. We need an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you right now, we need an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in this place. I'm telling you. I've never seen, and, and we live in, in the Bible Belt, but I'm telling you, I've never seen such ungodliness in my life. It's incredible. I want to leave you with this scripture, and then we're going to stand and pray. Chronicles 7, 14, If my people, which are called by my name, 
will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I'll hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and will heal their land. I'm telling you this morning, if you'll follow that scripture with all your heart and you'll seek God with all your heart, and I'm not telling you for one hour, for one day, I'm saying, you say, I really want this in my life. I really want to to walk with God as, as close as I can. I really want to be used of God. I want to see things change in my life and in this church and in my area. I want to see God do powerful things. I'm telling you, you get a hold of that, and every day you get up, you say, I'm going to seek God today. I'm going to seek God today. I'm going to seek God today. I'm going to walk after God today. Lord, help me. Lord, help me today. Would you stand this morning? Would you stand all over the house? Would you stand? Could we close this way? Last week, Brother Pettigo gave an incredible sermon about lifting the things up to God that you don't need. (laughs) Could we follow that pattern today? And say, God, I'm lifting up my everything to you, my life, my life. Take me, take me, take me, God. Change me, use me, use me, God. I humble myself before you, God, and I pray, and I seek your face. And I'm asking you to come and not only heal me, but heal my land, heal my my, the Hendersonville, heal Sumner County, heal this country, God. We want to see your power and your presence today. Could we just take a moment and do that as we close this way? give the Lord praise today. Isn't God good? God is so good. Amen and amen. I know it's been a busy week, busy weekend, but um, I hope you'll join me if you're able to in prayer tonight. Uh, Six o'clock. We want to come. We want to pray for what we've been talking about today, and uh, I hope you're able to make it. God bless you. Be sure to tell everybody you love them. It's great to see them in the house of God, and, um, and you are dismissed. Praise the Lord.